Today's podcast is loaded with stuff. The Kyrie news, what does it really mean? Also, receipts and living rent-free. Chris Finch, head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Life Advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my french fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. I want to start today's podcast before we get to all the other stuff we have for you talking about Kyrie Irving. All right, let's get the news part out of the way. Earlier this week, Sean Shrenia of The Athletic said that there's an impasse between Kyrie and the Nets on on a new contract for him and that if it doesn't quite work out, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Knicks are all super interested. So I want to examine a bunch of these different things. Uh, Here's the important stuff. There's a $36.9 million player option that Kyrie has to make a decision on by June 29th. Pretty simple. If Kyrie picks it up, he's under contract for at least one more year and the Nets and him can work out another deal. Uh, But it also makes him a lot easier to trade as opposed to a sign and trade that has complications for these other teams. The Nets, as ridiculous as it sounds, because if you just ask me straight up, do you want to be in the Kyrie Irving business in a vacuum? It's a no for me every single time. And I think it should be a no for almost all of these teams. But for the Nets, as we've been over this before, it's like my, my Celtics buddies were like, well, cool. That means if we don't sign Gordon Hayward, we can just use the 30 plus million on somebody else. That's not the way it works. You want to actually sign players a lot of times that are really expensive that you don't really want because you at least want that asset slot. Um, and a lot of you already know this stuff. The best example of this is Kevin Durant, Giangelo Russell. It's like we know we're going to lose Durant. Is there any way we can actually trade him and assign a trade for Giangelo Russell back? You get Durant, and now we have this asset that we can use later on, which ended up being Wiggins and a lottery pick, right? So the Nets, even though the Kyrie experience hasn't been great, dude doesn't play in a ton of games, has played in 103 of the available 226 games, the Nets would like to keep him because it's better than just losing him for nothing. Now, would they keep him and do a sign trade? Let's let's cover up uh, cover some of the teams that that w- were talked about here, which I... You know, we'll get to kind of some of the motivation behind a piece of news uh, a little bit later in this open, but um, any Lakers deal here, yeah, they would do it for Westbrook. No shit. They would do that. They get off of Westbrook. They are convinced the LeBron-Kyrie thing would work. Everything's good. I went on with Cowherd yesterday. He said he'd do Anthony Davis or Kyrie yesterday. I disagreed. Um, Cowherd right now has got me on the AD position. Uh, his short position, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out about it. I'm still long Anthony Davis. Uh, the reason I still wouldn't do it is because at least Anthony Davis wants to play basketball. And the reason he doesn't play is because he's hurt all the time. Although some would argue, hey, he hasn't picked up a basketball in two months. Does he really want to play basketball that much or so? Hey, I'll just end it this way. Go ahead. You can have Kyrie. Enjoy. All right. Um, the Knicks part of this seemed 
weird because the Knicks could get the cap space to go ahead and do this. They could also trade some pieces. But you would have to do a combination of moving off of Evan Fournier's 18 million and 18.9 million guarantee. There's a team option on a third year from now on the four years of the overall deal. Alec Burks, who I actually kind of like a little bit, but he's 10 million with a team option next year. Nerlens Noel's 9.2 million with a team option. Kemba's 9.1 million. So you could maybe attach some assets, but then you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. What are we doing again for the Knicks? We don't want to do a sign and trade. We want to clear enough cap space to just go ahead and take Kyrie. There'll be an awesome headline. We're taking him away from Brooklyn. Um, but we have to probably throw an asset on maybe a first rounder with Fournier because everybody knows that we're trying to move it to do something else. Um, maybe we have to throw on some second rounders here with a combination of the remaining guys, but at least their contracts will be expiring after the season. Do we really want to have to go through all of these mechanisms to, again, sign somebody to a max deal that doesn't seem super interested in playing basketball? And this stuff has been going on for five years because it started at 25 years old. And I wonder who would actually think, hey, from 30 to 35 is when he's really going to lock in. Then there's the Clippers part of it where, you know, look, it's a lot easier for them to just go ahead and if he were to opt in to trade for him. Because they have some pieces, you know, do you throw a Reggie Jackson out there? Do you throw a Norman Powell in there? You know, this, I think their only draft pick that's remaining to trade is 2028. 20, um, you know, does any of that make sense? And does it really make sense for a Clippers team that, yeah, best case scenario, Kawhi, Paul, George, Kyrie. But you're talking about guys that just are almost never at their best case scenario. So it keeps getting back to like, all right, so this piece of news was what? Was this piece of news somehow presented as... Well, if the Nets don't step up and offer the full max, here are these other options. Well, they're super complicated options. And I did think the article was very pro-Kyrie, which I always do with any of these newsy things. I'm like, where's the motivation behind this information? Uh, there was a line in there about how Kyrie had helped lead the the Nets last year to a, the, it was it wasn't the second round, it was the Eastern Conference semifinals. You're like also known as the second round. He played in four of those games. I don't feel like Kyrie's led much of any group of dudes to do anything except Durant make a really bad decision um, for the rest of his career. So you can never rule out the third team. Maybe that gets involved to help move these things along. Uh, many mistakes have been made when you're just looking at two teams trying to trade for people and you're like, oh, mysterious third team enters the chat. Um, so that's always a factor in this. But then there's also, wait a minute, if we forget these good teams that would want to add Kyrie, maybe there's bad teams that would want to add Kyrie. I actually think bad teams adding him would be even worse than good teams because good teams would have players that he'd actually have to sort of respect. But we thought we just had that with Durant and Harden, and that wasn't the case. Can you imagine Kyrie with a young developing team, him coming in, dropping philosophical bombs on dudes at halftime? So I'm not sure that's a great fit. So look, back to the beginning of this, I know why the Nets are doing this. I know why they'd like to keep the asset. Uh, the leverage may actually be with them. Where they're like, we don't think you want to opt out and just go to salary cap for one of these really bad teams. So we'll just hold off, wait until you opt in, and then we'll figure it out after that. And if it means you plan a one-year deal, it means you plan a one-year deal. And if it means you end up giving in to a version of a contract structure that we feel like protects the team, because again, I don't know, teams get weird that way. They want the guys that they pay to play in games. Fucking mind-blowing, I know. Maybe hit pause and just let that marinate for a second. But... I, I thought it was a really interesting piece, but I'm I'm not sure how you never rule out anything in this league, but it's just these are very let's just say this. It is very complicated. And by the way, Kyrie has not made basketball a priority. So it's hard for me to think there's a ton of teams out there making Kyrie the priority. 
double solo segments today. Uh, had a lot, lot going on. I think I had like seven segments I could have done. I think I could have taped for just straight 90 minutes after Golden State won this whole thing and then another Friday. So I do want to go back to something because I just think it's interesting. And I think it's the new normal and kind of those times where you go like, is this is this where we are right now? And in, the question I would ask is, does this mean that every time a team wins a championship, they start pulling receipts and taking their victory lap? Because that's exactly what Golden State did. Uh, again, everybody knows I really like Golden State. So it was sort of a weird series for me. I think Saruti kind of called me out a little bit where he was he was basically like, yeah, but you still love Steph. So how pro boss are you going to be in this one? It was it was very weird. But I was really happy to see Steph get this victory lap despite, you know, the team you grow up with and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Clay started it up pretty quick. He called Jaron Jackson Jr. a bum at the podium. Called, straight up called him a bum. That doesn't happen a lot, folks. Uh, because Jaron Jackson Jr. had tweeted out strength in numbers after they had beaten the Warriors in a playoff game. The Memphis Golden State history now is is new. It's new history, but there's some depth there. Uh, Memphis bounced them in the playoff game last year. Uh, the Iguodala trade where he didn't want to go there. So Dylan Brooks had some interesting comments about that. Um, the Brooks foul on Gary Payton. You know, it was it was a nasty play. Payton landed the wrong way. It happens. It's not the end of the world. The whoop that trick game, though, I felt like was actually a real moment. Because I, who likes Memphis, and, you know, Memphis reminds me a little bit like that Thunder team where Durant and Westbrook just were not even remotely afraid of Kobe and the Lakers. Like just it was it was one of those great moments where you're watching basketball and you go, oh, wow, this is like a real thing. Like they're not remotely intimidated by these dudes whatsoever. And I think Memphis certainly has that in their DNA. I wouldn't say they're ever um, intimidated by it. Ja gets hurt. You know, who knows? Maybe the series could have gone a little different. I don't necessarily think the Warriors were going to lose any version of that series. But there was a real like in your faceness, which is what Memphis is about. Right. The reason we like the rise and grind shit, we like the city and all that kind of stuff like these. But. I remember doing the podcast the next day going, I kind of want the Warriors to trash this team now. Because, again, the Warriors ended up being a team that won an NBA championship at one point being down 55 points in the playoff game. I don't know that that's happened a lot. Where it's like, ah, they're down 55. I still like that team to pull, win the whole thing, though. Um, and maybe that's just been the case where we see some of these blowouts and we had a ton of blowouts in the playoffs where teams are just like, all right, we're out of this. But the whoop that trick game felt like something. It didn't make me dislike Memphis. It just made me want them to be kind of reminded about the gap. And I remember Chris Vernon texted me the next day. He's like, you broke my heart today. You broke my heart saying you want to see the Grizzlies get destroyed. But I said it and I felt it because of all of that stuff that I saw. And it just kept going. I mean, Steph did the zero over the eye thing because that was what dudes, I think, on first take had done at one point where they were like, how many more titles are the Warriors going to win? And they were all like zero, perk it in the action as well. Um, and then Draymond just basically let everybody have it. And here's what's funny about it is these are guys that are very important. These are players that are the best in the world at what they do. And they've already had success. So this isn't like new money, man. Their first title was seven years ago. And they were telling everybody how they felt about all the disrespect, which is very similar to what a lot of us do. As soon as a team wins a title, like I can think of specific ones where um, if Clemson had beat LSU in the title game a couple years ago, Clemson fans... The drafts that you probably had ready to go at me uh, were endless. Here's another one. Like if the Tennessee Titans had come out of the AFC after I said they were one of the worst one seeds that I think we've seen historically in a really long time, and there were numbers and results to back that up, uh, whatever, it's football. They lost to Cincinnati. I didn't come on the show the next day going like, look at me. I was amazing doubting the Titans, you know, because I also realized there was another version of it that could have gone the other way. But it had the Titans made a run. 
I would have gotten all sorts of Titan fans tweets because it isn't just enough that your team wins. It's that, hey, my team won. Like, I'm a Braves fan, right? All right, Braves win the World Series. 90 seconds later, I'm going to fire one off here on that. Fuck Ken Rosenthal. Guy didn't think we had enough bullpen depth. Fuck him. (laughs) That's what happens. It's like, wait, it isn't that my team, and in some cases in these cities who haven't won for decades, have finally won a championship in this thing that I care so much about. Let me, within minutes, let the doubter know. And so there is a weird correlation there because if I were a player and I were really good with the first thing, and again, maybe I shouldn't say it's the first thing because it's the stuff that also made its way out and I didn't watch every single press conference from the first minute to the last minute. But this this felt a little different, but it also didn't feel that different because I think this is kind of the new normal. I don't know that I'll ever accomplish anything in life that'll be, like if I were to do something really special, right? If if I, I don't know what that would be, right? I have some thoughts. Maybe I'm not going to share them anymore. But would I start doing a victory lap about all the people that doubted me? Now, if you listen to me, you're like, dude, you are the number one draft pick of people that would do that. I would 100% think it, right? Like, what if, say, I ended up being the number one sports podcast? Like, would I would I rip other podcasts? I don't know. I mean, if there was another podcast out there that cut their podcast into a million pieces, then made me look bad at work and then did some victory lap about how they were the best the whole time when they weren't, would I ever call that out? I don't know that I would do that, right? Because I also don't know that I'll do anything as cool as winning an NBA championship. And if I were winning an NBA championship, would I actually want to take the time to like let everybody know? And here's the thing is maybe I should stop asking any of this stuff, right? Because this is what it is now. This is what it is because, as I've said, for years now, the access to hate has never been greater, right? Some of the LeBron stuff is still silly to me. Like the Wash King thing. Who's actually calling him Wash King, right? He screwed up by having have that same energy. And like, yeah, a lot of people did have that same energy that doubted you and they ended up being right. Does it mean that you're going to go, hey, that previous have that same energy tweet? I actually missed on that one. The same energy tweet opinions also seem to always be off the mark a little bit. But the funny thing, if you take it back to the Memphis part of the Golden State part, is that Ja Morant, who again, got eliminated, didn't play in the rest of the series, and then the team they were calling out wins another NBA championship, and Ja goes to the default rent-free line (laughs) As, as a comeback to the Warriors. And I'm thinking like, wait, You just get to say rent-free when you got kind of owned for a season? Because that's exactly what happened. Golden State beat you guys. You didn't play in the games. They went on. They won a championship. So like it or not, they get to say all this shit now because the winners winners write history. And what I always think is kind of funny about like, hey, I'm wrong. I got called out. So what do I do here? Oh, this guy said something about me. Let me just go to the default rent-free. Rent-free and have that same energy seem to be in that same neighborhood of like tweets that you go, everything that follows this usually isn't that great of an observation. I mean, we talked about some of the hate and the criticism. Fucking Drake is one of what, the five biggest artists in the world? That guy's been bummed out about his friend group for years. All right? So as I've always said, if you want to find the hate, you can find it, right? If you're doing anything that people care about, you can find someone taking a dump on the thing that it is that you do, right? Um. But to see a team win and spend so much time talking about another team, I don't know if that's a Warriors-specific thing. Maybe it is with their personality. Maybe it is with Draymond. I wouldn't say it bothers me. I would just say, hey, I think this is what it is now, and it's going to happen more and more as these younger players get older because they grew up with it. 
keeping track of everything. And I'll tell you, I'm here for it. Chances are, though, you're going to be able to find an opinion on any take. Like, even if you're universe, like maybe like the anti Giannis takes are the one that you won't find, but pretty much every other take is going to be available for you. So if you think that you're being hated on or you're being disrespected, there's a good chance you can just search something on Twitter. You're going to you're going to be able to find what you want. Right. But here's why I do think that the uh, the Warriors thing is different. It's because you had guys going on morning shows for a couple years talking about, you know, Andrew Wiggins, like this team, they'll step will never make the finals again with this squad. They're done. The dynasty's done, blah, 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 blah. And the emotion for them to get back to this point, I think is different than, than in most instances, you know, like the, the amount of doubt that people threw at them because they wanted this thing to be done. They wanted the Warriors dynasty to be over. And the fact that they got to the top again, I think adds that much more like validity to their angst. If that makes sense, the warrior stuff. Um, and let's be honest about the Grizzlies too. And I don't want to bump Chris Vernon out anymore, but this is a team that I could very easily see us turning on quickly in a couple of years if they don't start winning some stuff. Cause they have a lot of guys that like to talk. Jaw's been very vocal on Twitter. Obviously the Jaron Jackson tweet was bad. Um, I think this was like a perfect storm of two teams. And it doesn't mean that that Memphis was living rent free in, in golden state's head. It just means that you said a stupid thing and you got called out for it after that team won the title. So usually I'm very anti like, you know, hey, we just won something. Let me talk about my haters. But I actually thought it was kind of validated in this instance. Okay, so I like what you did there because I think it is, I think it's two things. I think it's the new normal, but I also think it's a heavy Warriors thing too. So you're right. Uh, I the, the only part of the jaw thing, the rent-free, I feel like everybody does that now. Like, oh, whatever. Like if I responded to one guy who I'll never meet or think about the rest of my life, just because I'll say, hey, maybe that day I want to respond to somebody and the guy gets to say, oh, rent-free, bro. Rent free. And you're like, well, what, what, you know, now the Warriors did talk about them a lot. Um, but every, whenever, and that's why I kind of made fun of some of the I'm here for it, keep that same <laughs> energy. Term. Yeah. Louder <laughs> for the people in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Just the rotating three to four things that everyone uses all the time. Good morning to Usman Jang and Usman Jang only. Yeah. 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 Just. Whenever I see keep that same energy or rent free, I'm like, yeah, actually, I'm not going to agree with you. But here's I'm not going to agree with you. Here's the thing, too. Even if Clay was thinking about that tweet for months, they won the title. If he used that as motivation, then it fucking worked. So good for you. Yeah, like I, it, it, it doesn't work. Like, even if you are rent free in Clay's head, guess what? He just proved you wrong because he won the chip. Like that's all that matters. So uh, the fact that he used that as motivation and then actually did win a title, to me that you're not poning him by saying living rent free. You just gave him motivation and he did it. So I, I don't think we should be criticizing that at all. Rent free or keep that same energy or kind of like anybody that's ever played baseball where the third base coach is giving you the signs and then it's the belt grab is the indicator that a real <laughs> sign is coming. Yeah. So like whenever I see... Whenever I see rent free or keep that same, I'm like, oh, this will be a terrible, this will yeah. be a terrible part of the argument. Yeah. <laughs> or, or in Jaws' case, like, you know, like they won, man. They won. They Are won you- the argument. They won the series. They won the title. And so you can say rent free, but you don't really have like, nope, not, not, not too many people are really like, you know, Jack, great point, dude. Great point. Are you with me on the, on the, uh, the Grizzlies thing though? Like, I think if they don't, 
take another step or if they don't get to where we where like they're projected to go, which is probably finals in the next couple of years based on how much they talk and how, you know, how much we like the team to watch. But we do this with every team. As soon as you don't reach a goal or achieve or keep that linear progress going, we kind of turn on you. I could see two to three years like them being the hated, most hated team in the league easily. Most hated. They just have a lot of young guys. That, I mean, Dylan Brooks, I, I, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Ja alone. That's a tough trio if you're not winning. You know, if you're not winning titles. Like, at least Draymond win. Like, Draymond, yeah, okay, it's tough, but like he's a winner. He's won four championships. There's not much you can say about him. Like, you can still not like him, but you got to respect him. If this Grizzlies team doesn't start winning, and I know we're still, they're still really young. We've got time, but this is what we do. We just turn on teams like this. We love them when they're young, and as soon as they don't win after a couple of years and they don't kind of keep that linear progress going, we're like, who the fuck are these guys talking so much back? They haven't won anything. Look at zero titles. And then, you know, that's kind of how it works. I would rather them be them the way they are now, though, than a young team that thinks they're young. You know, I, w- I would rather this, uh, even if there was that moment in the playoffs where I was like, I kind of wanted the old school Warriors to put it on them. And look, they ended up, you know, they didn't destroy him, but they, they beat him. They moved yeah, on in the series. series. But I would still rather Memphis maintain who they are in this group. But you're absolutely right. Because, you know, if you're quiet and not good, no one cares. When you're loud and not good enough, um, that's when you bring that attention to yourself. Yeah. And I'm here for it. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? (laughs) I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. Excited to talk to this head coach in the NBA. It's Chris Finch of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this, and you know, look, I've wanted to do this for a while here, is when I ran into you in Chicago, too, I go, you know, look, we get plenty of stuff wrong, but it was a Timberwolves team. You know, you come in in February of last year. Uh, they were 13 and 40. They finished 10 and 9. The end of the year can be a little misleading, but I just felt like something clicked, and then you make the playoffs this year. So can you talk about the beginning of you starting the head coaching gig, your first one in the NBA, and then, you know, losing games, maybe some things changing, and whatever it was, having it carry over to a playoff season for you. Yeah, so... You know, obviously, kind of unique circumstances parachuting in in the middle of a season. Um, and what I really tried to focus on, like, break things out into things I could change, you know, in the short term, things that I could maybe impact over the medium term and things that I couldn't change until we got to the off season. 
And I just thought the first thing I would, I said about was just figuring out how to get a, the team to compete more, like helping them understand like what that means, you know, compete when they're fighting through a screen, compete when they're getting back in transition, like all the little pieces, break it down for them and just try to be way more competitive. Um, while at the same time building up their confidence uh, because the team just really had struggled with its confidence. As you can imagine, any team going through that type of losing would. Uh, then we looked at changing our defense and that over, you know, a little bit, little bit by a little bit over the medium term, we were able to kind of, you know, we weren't anywhere good, but we were still a little bit more, a little bit more resistance. Um, we moved from playing into a, a very conservative drop oriented defense to a extremely aggressive fly around attack the ball style, which I felt suited just, you know, young, younger athletes trying to you know figure it out in the NBA, like just take the thinking out of it, be more attack minded. And then that little body of work we were able to take into the summer and kind of really use it as a, you know, an, a, we had a proper, uh, proper body of work to evaluate what we thought we could and couldn't do. And last summer was a lot about reconstructing our defense, keeping that same attack mindset, but but putting a little bit more structure, a little more rules with it, and then figuring out pick and roll coverages, et cetera, that best suited our guys. Um, and that's where we had the biggest jump. I mean, you know, we still have a lot of holes in our defense. Some of the things that you want to do better, uh, need to do better, such as like transition and um, rebounding. Those are two huge drivers. but you know, we were able to generate a lot of turnovers and that was probably the key to our defense and just also kind of, you know, continuing to fly around and use our length and athleticism. Offensively, you know, I felt looking at the roster coming in that we had all the skills we needed, you know, just how do you like blend them together? Um, I think our three guys at D'Angelo, Carl and Anthony, um, they all have, complementary skill sets. It's not like they're all trying to compete in the same space, do the same thing with the ball. Um, so I thought that gave us a great chance right there. Um, you know, and then I had, I had the benefit of those guys being able to play together longer. You know? uh, Ryan Saunders, my predecessor here, he just, you know, they were had so many injuries and they really didn't have a, a chance to kind of gel and figure it out. So I think, you know, as, as important as uh, the start of this season and the off season was, the last 20 games for us last year when we had all three guys being able to play with, you know, that gave us the best insight of how good we felt we could be coming into this season. I imagine all the years, you know, we're talking a couple of decades here as an assistant, different stops. And you're thinking about your philosophy, like, Hey, I want everybody to move off the ball. I want guys rescreening. I want early transition, kind of semi-transition threes. I want to fight over. I don't want to give up switches all the time. You right. know, I want what guys, and then you get the players, you're like, hey, some of these guys just don't want to do that. Like, right. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> how, how hard is that realizing that your your magic application of basketball philosophy is not always a realistic application? Yeah. Great question. I think uh, as you prepare for jobs, you know, you always do so pretty much like in idyllic, idyllic conditions or in a vacuum. Fortunately, I've been in a lot of scenarios wherever I've coached where there's been so much change and so much stuff out of your control. I kind of just learned to roll with it a little bit. Um, you know, coaching in the G League was, you know, was a master class in that. Like your roster's changing all the time. So 
you, you have to still maintain the high level principles, the philosophy and the things that you believe in, but you have to pick a different route to get there. You know, um, you can still value the same shots, but you're, you know, the, some of the concepts that you use to get to them might change because your best player one day was your point guard. He leaves. Now your best player happens to be a skilled four. Um, you're not going to keep doing the same things you did for the point guard um, with, with a lesser talented player in that role now. So I, I think um, key for us was, you know, we built a real diverse staff here. Um, I brought in to help run the defense uh, or was Elston Turner. Elston's been in the league a long, long time. He's been with Mike D'Antoni, done volume switching. He's been with um, Rick Adelman, you know, where they didn't switch a ton at all. Um, you know, he's been with Dave Yeager, who's like highly touted defensive tactician, uh, when, it, when it, a lot about, you know, game planning, he's been with a lot of really good offensive minded coaches too, which I think was important because, um, you know, you don't get into that turf war where the things we choose to do offensively are going to obviously impact some of your defense too, and vice versa, uh, which I've been in, in, you know, around some staffs that you, you had this flashpoint where you know, caused a little bit of friction. I was asking around prior to this interview, some guys that have worked with Diego, give me, give me a Finch scouting report. And they were like, one of the coolest things that he had said to and I'm not going to name the person, but it's a compliment. So don't worry about it. Uh, they were like that you felt as an assistant, you had to be the opposite of the head coach's personality, right? So like a little good cop or a bad cop, depending on how that works. How does that change once it becomes now? Do you no longer have to pretend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think as coaches, we have to be whatever our team isn't, you know, whether it's your, maybe your head coach, you need to compliment him and whatever, whatever, I mean, I have blind spots and what I'm able to do as a coach and my personality, and I need assistance that help me, um, you know, as a team, if you have a team who doesn't have a lot of leadership, we talk about this, like, you know, every coach will bemoan, we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough, well, isn't it our job to provide that leadership form in some capacity? Like, aren't we supposed to fill these, you know, uh, these, these, these deficiencies, if, if we're not tough, like, you know, we can, we can be tough minded as a staff and our, you know, hopefully our team figures out how to be a little tougher, you know? Um, but yeah, so I was always very lucky to work for coaches who gave me a big platform in the, on the offensive side of the ball, Kevin McHale, Alvin Gentry, uh, Nick nurse, um, these guys, Mike Malone, I mean, all the guys I worked for gave me a big platform, uh, Alvin and, 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 and Mac in particular, you know, they were, they were, they, they were player coaches. They spent most of their time with player relationships. So in a lot of that, those roles, I ended up having to be the bag top too, just because, you know, when you're running the offense or you're running the defense accountability in the film room begins and ends with you, you know, the coach has your back, which is hugely important, but so. You know, moving into the head coaching realm, I just wanted to empower my assistants and have their back and also, you know, set the tone and set the environment, um, you know, what, what our, our behaviors are expected to be. Let's talk about your players. Uh, there, I don't know when it was, but there was just a moment with Anthony Edwards where this year I went, okay, this, this feels like the start of something really special. There's a lot of great young players that are sick athletes that can score 20 a game and take over games. But I, I just ask you, you're around him every. How special can he be? Yeah, very. I mean, we think he can be certainly a high level franchise player. Um, 
uh, perennial all-star. Some of the things that he's done at an early age are things that only those types of players do do. Um, He needs to obviously become more consistent in a lot of things. He's still trying to figure out a lot. The great thing about Anthony is he knows who he is and who he isn't. Um, He has very, very mature and very self-aware. And through that process, like he understands the value of playing with a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who can space the floor so he can live in the paint. You know, like he's not trying to fight um, to be the number one guy at any point in time. He just believes it's going to come, you know, as he gets older and better. Um, I was a little, you know, a little worried about going into the playoffs about how he might try to do too much. And sometimes that, um, that, that stage might swallow you up, but, I mean, he took to it easy, and he was he was comfortable, he was confident, he was loving it. You know, he never really played in a basketball game of that magnitude anywhere, you know, certainly not in college and certainly not before that. So, um, and it's when he, when, when I watch him go through these things, whether it be scoring 40 or uh, playing well in the playoffs or dominating a quarter or finishing out how to close games, that's, I, 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 you know, I realize I'm watching somebody who has incredibly high ceiling. So it's fun to, fun to be able to work with him. What I love about him is he's really, really coachable. And that's what gives us the best hope that he's going to be this high end talent that can drive winning for a long time for this franchise. Is there any similarity, a lesson learned from a previous stop in the NBA where you had somebody that was really special and you're thinking about that? that timeline and applying that to Anthony? Yeah. Um, so maybe a little less about the timeline, but more about the experiences that I could, or the evolution of it, I guess, is that, um, you know, when I worked with, with James Harden, when he came to Houston, um, you know, James would uh, see so many different looks and particularly in the playoffs, you know, we'd get a lot of different looks in the playoffs that maybe he hadn't seen in the regular season. And then he would, we'd have to figure out how to solve them or he'd have to figure out how to solve them, work on it. Next year, he'd come back. And I think Anthony, has, like we're seeing these looks coming at him like in, this, in the regular season now, you know, a lot more game planning, a lot more different looks that he's have to process. Um, and I think partly because I think, you know, teams in the league now are just way more flexible defensively than they've ever been. So they're able to kind of shift game to game. Um, you know, whereas five, six, seven, eight years ago, you, you did less of that. You kind of set out your stall. This is what we are. This is who we are. And then the playoffs will change. But now we see so many different looks. So helping Anthony work through those, uh, certainly drawing upon our experiences with James. Is Carl Anthony Towns, like, does the, does the whose team is it stuff, does that matter? Because I mean, I'm no. sure some guys it matters. Does it matter with you? It does. I don't get a sense that it matters at all. I think Cat has, um, well, I know Cat has embraced Anthony. They, uh, Anthony, as I said, understands the value of playing with a, a guy like Cat. He also knows that Cat is the best player on our team. Cat, um, you know, understands that he needs help. You know, all players need to have great players around him. I think it's one of the, it's one of the, uh, signs of maturity for young players. They come in the league looking to prove themselves, particularly these high picks, uh, prove themselves, make their mark, grow their brand, get paid, all the things that they want to do. 
and they always think they can do it alone or, or damn near alone. But the reality is none of them can, nobody can. Um, and so then they start to realize that how hard it is to be, uh, the only guy out there and this, you know, so adding talent. And I once heard when I got into the league, like, and it always resonates with me is that what superstar players need most is, is hope. They need hope. They need hope coming that they have good enough teammates, good enough coaches, good enough organization and a good enough environment to be able to maximize their potential. Um, and I think Kat understands, you know, how good and special Ant can be. I'll just admit it. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has been a tough watch for me over the years. Um, and I know you're not dumb enough to sit there and be like, no, I totally get it. No, like <laughs> you're his head coach. I thought he made some real strides this year, you know, and kind of understanding how he fit in everything. I think a lot of it, it's not the talent. I think sometimes with him, it's the decision making kind of what do we need and when do we need it? Uh, and then in the playoffs, it wasn't great again. When you're, when you're going through film, when you're, when you're looking at things that everybody needs to approve, how has the D'Angelo Russell relationship grown with you in just, you know, a year and a half? Yeah. So I, I mean, first of all, I, I, I agree for me, I, you know, I can only judge uh, my experience with, with a player um, and D'Angelo has been great. Like he's been super receptive and very coachable, very bought in. Um, you know, I think uh, his impact on our success sometimes is over, was overlooked this year. Particularly in the first half of the season, um, defensively, where um, he was very impactful off the ball as a help defender, very smart player. Um, you know, I think trying to figure out those three guys offensively, we thought it would be a little easier out of the shoot, but I think everybody started the season with so much ambition that they're all trying to put their mark on things. Um, that had to play out a little bit. We had to figure out some kinks there, but we got it sorted. Um, you know, he's had, he had some really big games and the playing game was probably a signature game for us this year. Uh, and he had, a, had certainly had a few of those, um, but he's been, uh, locked in and committed and, um, work ethic's been great. No problems with him all. I, he's a basketball junkie. He loves to watch hoop, talk hoop, everything. He's probably our biggest, uh, basketball, um, you know, uh, you know, student of the game, if you will, like he's really, really into watching games. So, um, and last year when I first got here, we watched more film together this year. I didn't have enough time to sit down and watch enough film with them. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, I think for him, his skill set fits perfectly between Ant and Cat. Uh, one of the best pastors I've ever been around. Uh, you know, I keep pushing him to just keep leaning into that really good shot maker, particularly in the clutch. Uh, and for sure, you know, like, uh, with all these guys, like shooting sometimes comes so easily to them that they think they'll make any shot. He plays with great confidence. You, know? you mentioned the leadership part before. Um, and I had Jim Peterson on earlier this season and I just went like, Hey, give me, give me the Pat Bev experience because you know, yeah. it's not for everybody. Right. Uh, but it feels like I feel like any team that has real aspirations needs somebody who's on edge all the time. And it may drive even his own team crazy at times. But uh, how important is he for a guy that's been around and seen a lot to kind of counteract the youth and talent you have on the team? Yeah. You know, very, very, very instrumental to our environment this year was Pat. Um, not just what you see. Uh, and that's, you know, real and 
like you said, it's uh, might not be for everybody. Doesn't bother me. I've known Pat since we got came in the league. Came in the league with us in Houston. One of the things I love about him is that he still maintains that chip on his shoulder to prove to himself that he belongs, even though he clearly does, um, and how that drives him. The most important things for what he does for our environment or did coming in this year are things that you don't see. Like he's an extremely uh, he's an extremely good professional in terms of how it, it how he does his work every day, looking after his body, keeping his game sharp. Um, teaching a young team what professional habits look like, making sure that even though it's um, you know an optional off day or a get what you need day, that everyone's still coming in and they're still doing their work, that they're locked into the game plan. He'll send them texts the night before with some insight on guys that you know from that he knows from playing in, against these guys in the league for so long. Uh, in the film room, not afraid to you know, get on guys or clean up a message that may be a little bit blurry or something like this. So it's a lot of the stuff you just really don't see. Um, and the stuff that you do see is stuff that gives a young team confidence that they're willing that they, you know, and it also ups the ante. Like if that guy's going to play that hard, then I got to go out there and play that hard, you know? So um, I'm a big PB fan. Um, you know, maybe not such a fan of his, uh, media tour at the moment but uh. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask like you don't i don't i would be worried that he'd be on first take and they do a timberwolves blame pie and, and pat bev would be like well 51 percent on coach finch let's start there <laughs> <laughs> that's fine <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> i'd rather you, be blaming me and get me mad than some of the other opponents out there <laughs> do you guys actually care about the media tour or is it just like i mean that way i joke with him about it a little bit i mean it you know I, I, it doesn't bother me. Like, you know, do you think because he says something, some team wants to beat us more than they wanted to beat us before? I mean, come on. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I, I always kind of think that stuff's kind of funny. It's like, wait, so you needed me to get you to try harder? Like, what? what exactly. <laughs> like, then you should be paying me. Uh, you right. mentioned it at the top, and it is something I wanted to kind of round out the interview because there's still a little background stuff that I wanted to do. When you got this gig, everybody was mad at you. And yeah. the, I don't know how many people knew you. And I remember, like I'm telling you, I got a few texts from people that had worked with you and they were like, look, I know this is non-traditional. And for those who forget, you were on the Toronto staff and you come over, you get the head coaching gig uh, after Saunders is out. You know, usually somebody on the assistant side is bumped up interim and Minnesota was just like, we don't want to do this. We want to go ahead and grab Chris Finch. And it's worked out. It was the right call, which I don't think too many people have come back around on and admitted they didn't like the way you got the job. What was that like for you realizing a lifelong dream? And then so many in the media that didn't even know who you were dumping on the decision yeah well you know it didn't really change uh what it meant for me internally my moment was always going to be my moment it wasn't a moment that i really needed to have validated by the rest of the world um and you know the circumstances were certainly unusual um i didn't really see some of the some of the the backlash coming um to be fair i didn't necessarily think it was i didn't take it personal you know, my fellow coaches rest, uh, reached out to me uh, when the Coaches Association put out the statement that they did. They made sure to reach out to me that it wasn't personal against me. It was more reflective of the processes, which I understood. Um, and, you know, I understood the sensitivities around it. Um, you know, when I came in, I talked. One of the first things I did, I sat down with David Vanderpool. I just said, hey, man, I know this This sucks for you. I really, It really does. And um, let's just try to work through it. 
And, you know, he was awesome. He was really, really good for us. Good for me for the remainder of the season. So, um, and he's an outstanding coach and he, you know, he deserves his chance. And hopefully at some point he'll get his chance. Uh, that's just the thing. It's, there's only 30 of these jobs. They're really, really hard. Um, you know, I take zero credit or for what, you know, happened after, but there was then a, you know, a basically like, a we all looked every team in the hiring process looked at the way they were doing business. And there was a, a rush of hiring minorities last summer, African-Americans into uh, head coaching roles, which is, 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 is great, great for the game. So, you know, I guess you can say that it all worked out better because of the way the hiring process was, has been evaluated. Uh, and again, I take no credit for that, but if that's what happened after it, then I think we could all feel a little bit better. Let's go back to your um, playing career. You're coming oh, out of Franklin, <laughs> Franklin and Marshall. You end up in England. Yeah. Um, I know they were the Sheffield Forgers based on the, the it was the steel industry, and then you, you got moved up. I, it sounded like you had a lot to do with going up in the division. Um, and I also talked to Nick Nurse about this, but I, I'm always kind of, because I'm, I'm still somewhat mindful of where I was at as a guy leaving college and knowing how incredibly disappointed my family was for a little while, uh, were they like, Hey, what's the plan, man? You're just playing in England (laughs) (laughs) for five years. Like, do you actually think you're going to play in the NBA at some point? Take us through these years, which could be great years. Looking back in the moment, we don't realize how great the delaying of real life is for those of us that delayed it. But those around us usually aren't as supportive. Yeah. I, I will say, I mean, when I, when I knew I wanted to become a coach and when I was leaving college, like my parents were, they were pretty, they were pretty supportive. They didn't really give me too much grief. Um, ironically, one of those moments in life where I was offered a graduate assistant job at the same day, a uh, uh, same time or very much, very much the next day, I believe it was to go over and play uh, professionally in England, which I knew nothing about, you know? And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try this. If nothing else, it's a life experience for a year. And then one year became 17, uh, just how it all unfolded. I, I always wanted to coach, um, but I never thought I'd coach in the NBA. It was never, you know, I think if you, if you talk to Nick, you know, Nick was, um, we coached over there at the same time. We went through an extremely similar path, but he was probably always a little bit more like ambitious in that he knew where he wanted to go. I was just trying to like be really good where I was. and. I didn't think I'd ever get back to America. I didn't have any kind of contacts back here in the NBA game, being from a small college. So I, my, my sights were far more set on just being in the European game, trying to get to Spain, get to Russia, get to some of these Turkey, get to Greece, some of these bigger leagues. What was your favorite place that you lived overseas? Um, I mean, London. Probably, I have to say London. We would live in London for the summers during the national team. Um, yeah. Cause I know Germany probably wasn't a great experience, right? I, maybe you just weren't there long enough. What's it like to get fired after 17 games in Germany? Yeah. Um, not, not a lot of fun, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the, the, the European basketball is, it is the wild West. Like you, if you lose to the wrong team, you're out, you know, you lose two games in a row, you're out. Sometimes it's, it's extremely emotional. 
I mean, we think right now in America, there's no patience, uh, you know, and owners have no patience, but over there, they might not have patience, but like they have this, 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 this burning desire to do something, um, club, those are club structures. So you have a lot of like outside money, almost like a college influencing what the club does, you know, like people are saying, we got to do something, coach got to go, or we got to do something. Nick will tell you he 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 went to practice one day and they changed his Americans and didn't tell him you know like that this is the type of environment that you're coaching in so um, but I was always lucky and fortunate to be in pretty sane situations over there where I was able to like kind of establish roots and grow a career um, but yeah it's so I went to a club that I guess at the time there were six, in Germany there were sixteen teams we probably had the fourteenth biggest budget. Um, but they had won championships in the eighties and they still thought they were that team, uh, which is the type of team you never want to coach for. You never want to coach for this team that's still living in the glory days. I remember my boss telling me, well, we don't tell the board members that we have the 14th largest budget. I said, well, don't you think that would help around here? Like if they set expectations, he said, no, 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 it would, it would uh, be an insult if we told them that I was like, well, tell them to put more money in, you know? <laughs> How do you take all of your experiences, right? And as you said, you're almost two decades over there. And then, you know, you get to Houston and you've been on some really good staffs. And now you're finally head coach. You know what I mean? Like this, this took a while. You even just said, like, this isn't necessarily what you envisioned. And you have this team with these really good young players and you get a real taste of what the playoffs are about. You lose to Memphis. How do you turn that into like, let's not be happy to be here because we took that first step of many? Because that first step is really hard. Like how much work is put into, and again, it's not like kids, you don't want to keep telling them over and over again to be focused for next year. But the concern is just the delicate nature of sports and that it's like, let's not be content here. Let's be motivated by what, what kind of improvement we've made as an organization. Yeah, so great question. And that basically strikes at the heart of what our offseason is about. Um, you know, we I keep preaching to the guys that this has to be the foundation for us to move forward from. It can't be the finish line. You know, we got to make sure that we learn from, you know, we just, we, we were the more immature team. Memphis was the more mature team. Like, we have to find that maturity. Um, they're a great team. They're on the verge of becoming an even better team. Uh, and they've kind of been through the fire a little bit if you look at their previous seasons. But more importantly, like we, when we come back to work, we have to go all the way back to the beginning and build it all the way back up. We're not going to just resume where the season finished for us. That's not how it works. You know, you got to go back and lay the right foundation with the right habits and the right standards, right expectations. And, you know, quite honestly, that has me a little bit concerned at times because we have a very young team and they've not experienced a lot of success uh, in anywhere in their careers. Um, you know, so these guys often at times are in college for one year. Um, there's not even a year that they can go back and build off in college. Like everything is a new start for them. Um, so, yeah, so it's really important that we understand that it's not going to happen just because it happened before and we got to get better. And the West is going to be, you know, tougher if everybody gets healthy out here in the West. It was a fun team to watch this year. I know that's not the ultimate goal, but you know, from the previous seasons of like, all right, Minnesota's on. I don't know who else is on. Minnesota yeah. became one of my go-tos this season. And uh, you know, I know it's the players, but you had you did have something to do with it as well. So thanks a lot for the time. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. 
You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We have a bunch of follow-ups on previous topics. Uh, there was a couple that I actually really liked. So let's do this one. Uh, regarding giving away stuff as a bartender, I think we kind of, after spending way too long on that, which is almost the case for all these answers, let's not kid ourselves. I was kind of like, if you have a good relationship with the owners or the managers or whatever, and you do it within reason where you're, you know, discounting a few guys, it's not the end of the world. Some people completely philosophically opposed. And again, if you're doing some of the more updated point of sale registers and all that kind of stuff, and, um, you know, you're working for a chain or whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out. So anyway, uh, there's a story about a bartender down in New Orleans, pre-Katrina. Um, there was a bar around the corner from the newspaper that I worked at. Oh, excuse me. I don't think they're in New Orleans, but they're, uh, they're in Mississippi. Okay. Um, so around the corner from the newspaper I worked at, we hang out after we put out the paper. So putting the paper to bed, newspaper term. Some of you journalists get it. Obviously, we got to know the bartenders, managers, and owners pretty well. There was this one bartender named Dave, and you could drink and drink and drink when he was working, and you get an $8 tab. He knew we'd take care of him with a tip. So this one manager, Dan, who was my best friend at that place, knew what Dave was doing, and he'd tell the owners, hey, Dave is robbing you guys blind here. The owners would respond, what are you talking about? Everybody loves Dave. <laughs> <laughs> And Dan would say, of course they do. He's robbing you blind. After about a year of this, he finally got them to install some cameras around the bar to keep tabs. Dave lasted about a week after that. So they just wanted to send a shout out to old $8 Dave. Uh, where we'll no matter what, Kyle. Yeah. Took him down. <laughs> I, I love the, what are you talking about? Everybody loves this guy. $8 Dave, man. Wait, so one of the patrons went to the owner? Right? That's, that's what he's saying? That sounds like, hey, Kyle, that sounds like somebody in school going, hey, you forgot to give us homework, huh? Yeah. Do your own work, pal. All that Is he stuff. looking for a job, too? Jeez. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is... People are asking me to run the Print the Shirts Part 2 segment that we cut after Marcus Smart fucking rolled on Steph's ankles and it was my open and ready to go the next morning, full of passion and confidence, where I was like, I'm going to get in front of this. Uh, I don't know. I think I have enough... I think I have enough of an ego and confidence that I don't need to run a segment we didn't run a week after the Warriors won the title proving, hey, look at me. Is that technically receipts at that point? Do you have receipts on that? <laughs> technically? Because, I mean, I've I mean, got it somewhere in the I bowels can't, of my Dropbox. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to run that. I, I think it just sounds like... <laughs> I just need to... I'm, that's a self-check where I was like, yeah, maybe I should run that. I'm like, why? Just so I feel cool? I mean... A, a lot of other dudes would, would definitely run that. <laughs> a lot of other a lot of other people would definitely run that. That's for the Patreon, right? Again, there. I'll mention the morning shows again. <laughs> that would be in heavy rotation on a couple more shows this morning. Look, I didn't run it. I'm oozing with confidence the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't need it. I don't need it anymore. I'm good. Um there was somebody else asking about the old Adam Sandler producer story. Um, this guy's checking in six five two twenty. I could dunk at two oh five, but not since then. Wait, so you can't dunk at two twenty six five, man? Don't let this go. Don't let this go. There's a couple beasts behind your lower behind your kneecap. They're just waiting to be unleashed. 
I'm telling you, man, once I figured out some of the working out stuff, I was hanging on the rim again at 40, 46. I'm 46 now. I always forget my age now. That's great. All right. So uh, this isn't much a question is asking advice, but just out of general curiosity, I'd listen to you and SDP back in the day. I remember a segment you did around 215 or 2015, where you told a story about where you blasted Adam Sandler and his quality of movies in front of one of his main producers. Um, I can't recall all the details, so please fill in any gaps here. I remember being a funny story, but not one the producer was able to easily bounce back from. Anyway, I watched Netflix movie Hustle, which stars Sandler, which was produced by LeBron and Maverick Carter. Uh, by the way, it's pretty good. Like I was I, like, you know what? This is good. This is really good. They did a good job with it. Sandler's fucking... When Sandler's really good, he's fucking awesome. I went into that movie kind of thinking I wasn't going to like it. And afterwards, I was like, that was kind of dope. That was kind of dope. So yeah, yeah, shout out to Mo Wagner. A good chunk of the movie centers around a Spanish basketball player that Sandler's character finds and trains in preparation for the NBA Combine. Given your tenured experience with the Combine, as well as your Hollywood aspirations, I was half expecting to see you in the movie until I remembered your potential beef with Sandler. Um, did that prevent me from getting in? Again, to back it all up here, I was at the Greenwich Film Festival on a panel and they were asking us why they thought so many sports movies got made. And I said, because honestly, there's a formula where if there's an early buy-in with an audience, as I've experienced too, like almost everything you do, like I wrote a true story about something that really happened for a movie. And one of the first meetings I took on it, the guy's like, where's the IP? Like what happened with this? I'm like, well, I researched it and I know the family and this is what happened and it's super fucked up. And the guy's like, great script, great idea, great execution. But there's no IP. I'm like, other than the fact that it exists and I'm telling you who the people we can, we can meet him. I can show you court documents. I can show you pictures of all this stuff. But since there wasn't like a book about it or there wasn't something else, there was no IP. So what happens a lot of times, uh, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but if there isn't some sort of existing thing that there's already a buy-in from the audience because audiences are tough, that's why we get so many of these remakes all the time. So I had said, not only a shorter version of this on the panel, I would say, hey, look, look like the Sandler movies. I'm like, it doesn't really matter what they do. There's just this automatic buy-in because it's Sandler and there's a formula. I was like, I guess they crush overseas. I was like, but Pixels? I said something like that. And his producer, like his main dude, Jack, was in the audience. And so the woman who I've known since I was a teenager that set up the Greenwich Film Festival pulled me aside. She was like, hey, you're awesome. And she's, she's great. Lifelong friend. Although I'm kind of, I don't think I've talked to her in five years, so let's probably not call her a tier <laughs> one person. Um, as I'm saying lifelong friend, I'm like, you actually haven't fucking talked to her in like five years. So who are you, what are you kidding yourself? But she is great. And she was like, hey, great job. Real quick though. She's like the after party and the after party was at some six sports car dealership in Greenwich. And I just remember, cause I've told this story before to share and I like went downstairs and started looking at cars together. And I was like, yeah, I to share, I can take like two of these right now if you wanted to. And she goes, hey, we're going to the after party thing. She's like, Sandler's producers in the audience. So she's like, the comment's not going to be great. And I was like, yeah, fuck. I was like, that's not great. And so then I just went over to him and I was like, hey, man. He's like, hey, you know, like he just <laughs> immediately had this look on his face like this dick. And then the, he gets a funnier because he was like, oh, and then he was kind of nice. By the way, Pixels wasn't good. So I wasn't necessarily wrong about the some of the premise on on some of the other movies, even though everybody loves Sandler. And Sandler, by the way, is considered the number one draft pick of anybody that's ever done the celebrity car wash at ESPN. Of anyone who the thousands of people that have gone through that place, if you'd ask the talent department who's the best single guy they've ever had to deal with, it's always Adam Sandler. So I was like, hey, yeah, I'm actually probably leaving ESPN soon, and I'm 
I'm headed out to LA to, you know, work on some scripted stuff. And he looked at me like, if you think I'm going to be any kind of contact for you after what just happened, like you're, you're the dumbest guy here. And I just was like, I, I wasn't doing it thinking like, Hey, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Let's connect once we're out there. And so, yeah, I felt, I felt like a dick. I didn't feel wrong. Um, and that, that I think that has nothing to do with me not being involved in Hustle because they had plenty of other higher profile people that were already involved in Hustle. Uh, and they did a good job with the sports movie, which I think the hit rate on sports movies is probably like Low. less than less than 10% seems harsh. Let's just say less than 25%. So of, good job. on size out there. Um, I will say, though, if you look at the timeline of events, one, you're not wrong. Um, and I think Sandler, if, if he and his producer can't admit that 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 they have a formula and that's kind of their deal and they, they they can't think that they're making like Oscar level movies, they're just making Netflix movies. It's fine. But if you look at the timeline of events after that, what happened? Uncut Gems, Hustle. So maybe you got in his head and they kind of, you know, they changed course. They altered plans like you, 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 you planted the seed for the like this, the pivot in Sandler's movie making life. And now it's been for the better. So. So I, I am the Jaron Jackson Jr. to Correct. Sandler. You were the motivation. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Rent so. free, bro. Rent <laughs> free. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> okay. Um, we had a million of these kind of follow up things, so I figured we touched on a couple of those there. But I've told that, Saruti, you are now on alert. I can never tell that story again because I've already told it All a couple right. times, different times. But um, shout out to Hustle because it's good. Check it out on Netflix. So look at this. We're doing... Wancho. Oh. Uh, uh, Here's why I wanted to stay on this, because uh, Matt checked in and says uh, it's a Canadian Grand, excuse me, it's a Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. Shout out to Verstappen and Red Bull. God, Verstappen's the best. Um, can you see how the woman with the creepy old man dad is doing? Remember that the, the girl brought her dad to the Montreal Grand Prix, mm -hmm. and she was like, "He won't stop checking out women the whole time." Who may have so, overreacted about that? I mean, we don't know exactly what was going on. She may have overreacted. Who knows? Was that your advice? Was that your position at the time, Kyle? No, I think my position at the time was stupid, but like it could have worked. It was like so crazy. It just might work was sort of my thing was like, I think what you if said you're... be her, be the wingman, right? Wasn't no, that your not thing? the like... wingman, but I was just <laughs> yeah. sort of like, you know, you see all those videos of like old men partying with like college age girls and like the girls think it's hilarious. The guy's having the best time. I was like, why can't we do that instead of just having him lurking in the corner somewhere yeah. or waiting in the beer line? I was like, yeah, what if you just go sit down at one of those? cafeterias and see what happens that's what i said there was a lot of let him live feedback yeah it sounds like she was like ruining her her own time and his time so it was like you might as well just enjoy the race guys <laughs> all right so that segues in perfectly into two that we'll do here uh do i tell my friend about his creepy dad 510 185 445 squat 315 clean hey guys checking in with a dilemma about my friend's creepy dad i have a buddy let's call him Everybody's just saying Chad now all the time, um, but we're going to call him Chad in this one too, I guess. He transferred to our public high school from the local private school halfway through our freshman year. Hey, take it easy on dudes that switch into a high school a little later than everybody else and nobody knows, okay? Um, Chad and I became really close, but he never made it to the core group because he's a bit socially awkward. We all went up to college and did our own things and he stayed home. Never had much interest in drinking or doing dumb 20-year-old guy things. Nothing wrong with that. Just trying to paint a picture here. We're all 25 now and have moved out of our hometown. Chad still lives at home with his parents and works at our local gym. I went back home for a weekend about three weeks ago and was at the gym with Chad 
uh, when my sister, 19 years old, called in a panic. She asked if Chad lived at whatever the address was. I said, yeah, why? And she said, apparently, uh, her and a friend were on a walk in the friend's neighborhood, and a car had been driving around slowly and following them. They got scared and went back to the friend's house. As they got to the driveway, the car pulled up, and a guy said, hey, this is going to sound weird, but I have a son who lives at the address we're talking about, and he's looking for some friends if you two want to come over. To which she replied, quote, yeah, that is really weird. Uh, and she kept walking. She didn't know that it was Chad's dad at the time. My dilemma is this. Do I tell Chad about his dad? On one hand, I don't want to cause any tension between Chad and me or Chad and his dad. Uh, if he was a core guy, I'd have no problem being like, hey, man, what the fuck is this all about? You going to keep your old man on a leash? But since he's a bit socially awkward, that's pretty aggressive. Uh, I feel like it would be a really uncomfortable conversation that is easily avoidable. At the same time, if my dad was prowling around the neighborhood following young girls and asking if they wanted to come to my house, I'd probably want to know about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's so easy. Yeah. You want to take it, Kyle? Uh, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it short. This is so easy. I mean, even if he is uh, socially awkward, he'd be like, hey, he's totally hurting your status in the neighborhood. If you really are hurting for friends, He's definitely telling everyone in a way that will never, ever bring any friends to your door. And if not, it might even get you put on some sort of list. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say, yeah, just, just get it out of the way. Like, Hey, we're friends. I know it's been a while. Uh, great to see you. You look great. You look well. Uh, maybe I'll see you around the gym, but Hey, your dad's like harassing people. One of them happened to be my sister. And you know, we, we just wanted to pass it along to you. That's all simple. Done. That's it. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that could maybe possibly make you feel better, as weird as this is, is that if the dad is a little off, he's off because he's trying to, like, have his son meet people because his son's still living at home and he's doing kind of like a weird thing of, like, is my son never going to move out of the house? Is he ever going to meet somebody? Is he ever going to start a family? And he's doing, like, a really weird I don't know if you've ever had aggressive parents trying to set you up with anybody. My mother had like a little phase where she tried it. And she was like, okay, this is the worst idea ever. And I was like, yeah, don't even bother. Stop doing this. Um, but she wasn't, she wasn't crazy aggressive about it. She would meet somebody and then she would start talking me up. Yeah. And then that's, that's it would be this whole, yeah. But then it would like be contact info. And I'd be like, you can't be doing that. You can't just give my cell phone number out to people. Like I fucking, <laughs> I'm on TV, you know? Wow. Like people people wow. were supposed to laugh. People were supposed to laugh at that. I thought this, I thought this was earlier in life. I didn't know this is when you were doing the show back in the day. Wow. Uh yeah, there was a little there was a little phase there where she thought she had to get her, her son back in the game. Um but because there's like I don't want to be dismissive of how weird this is. So first of all, the easiest thing is you said just you gotta say something to him. But you could also be saying something to him in a way where it's not my dad's asking. 19 year old girls prowling the neighborhood to come over to his house because he's fucked up it's that it's a concerned father who's socially awkward himself the kids you know maybe it's just one of those families that just you know the parents are sort of socially awkward and the next thing you know you get about three weird kids and it happens <laughs> you know <laughs> and then and then you know he's just thinking like hey younger women you know Looked about the Come same age over. as my son. Like, yeah. hey, you know, we got juice boxes and stuff, and I'm not a weirdo. And you know, maybe you guys could, you know, we got, we got, we got, we got you know, fruit roll ups, some streaming stuff. We got Pools the open. free trial going on. You know, we'll throw on or maybe Netflix. And maybe he knows. He'd be like, you know, don't say Netflix, don't say Netflix. So, uh 
there's a way that you can confront him on this, and it's actually the lesser of what the weirdest possible version of this is, which just again makes the whole execution of it a lot easier. So uh, I would say something. I would say something to him. Um, I think his Chad probably knows his dad's already pretty weird if he's doing something like this. But we just hope it isn't the 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 weirdest version of of how weird this is. Yeah. So okay. Um. Okay, single guy problems. Last one that we have here. Uh, this was a request through a request, but that's okay. We'll we'll uh, we'll make these happen. So he knows what's happening here. Uh, twenty eight turning twenty nine any day now. Uh actually today's his birthday. So happy birthday! Okay. Six feet steady, six feet from the East Coast, DC, closer to hefty, but not exactly big. When I say East Coast, I mean straight out of the Vineyard Vines Country Club catalog. Trying to chase a career in sports which has led to five stints, or excuse me, led to stints in five cities, so I guess it's the same thing, including a year at the greatest equinox in the South Bay. Shout out to my home gym. Doing a little push-pull today myself. Um, just hoping to be part of the segment's predecessor, Jim Corner. All right, don't get this confused with I'm an active gym-goer, though. I have more late-night frozen pizzas than days spent in the gym. have always found it relatively easy to find a guy's crew as I am outgoing and always down for a good time. Obsessed with chasing my career, and it has paid dividends. Uh, yet the one thing that's always missing is a long-term girlfriend. Friends set me up. Not limited to friends' parents, including my grandparents once. I used dating apps, friends of friends, and went out at bars, tried the now old-school small talk, which has led to too many chasing the night situations. Man, chasing the night thing is you can like hit on five percent of chasing the night and you will continue to chase the night because of the one time in the previous 20 that it worked chase the night man craig kilborn once said to me just don't chase the night brian don't chase the night let the night come to you he can like, say right. that i was like okay dude <laughs> anyway uh however seemingly nothing is clicked photo attached my mom tried to set me up in a macy's the other day over a phone halfway across the country I wouldn't say the pressure is high, but it's heating up. That's aggressive. That's aggressive. Uh, as I continue to stay single, it's, it's slowly become nights out with couples and me, which is a lot of fun, but not exactly single guy fun. I really like my friends' girlfriends, uh, their wives. What the fuck, man? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but when we do have guys night, part of me feels bad because I don't want my friends to get in trouble, but I still want to have a good time. And often they return home in rougher shape than they should, which sometimes reflects poorly on me. Man, you're really beating yourself up here, dude. Mm. Because your friends go home and they're more hungover the next day because they hung out with you on the guys' nights. You guys aren't even 30 yet. No, there's something to that, though. Yeah. Wait, okay. Take it Take it from here, guys. Jump in. No, I'll keep it quick. It's just when I come back, a lot of guys have their own life. Um, like I said, have families. Not necessarily I had a wedding, but have families. So they got stuff to do. And then, you know, I come home for two weeks at a time. So, you know, three, four nights out of those four weeks by like the third time I show up, you know, they're like, all right, where the fuck are you guys going tonight? Like, what what could you possibly be doing that you didn't get out of your system the last two times in like a nicer way? But I could tell by the by the end of my trip, they're sort of like, all right, can't wait till this guy gets out of here. So I could see it. Yeah, it's like, a, all right, who are you guys going out with tonight? Oh, Mark's going to be there. You know what happens when Mark's around and then you get that kind of tag on you and then That's not it's this like, kid. don't go out with Mark. Yeah, yeah, this guy's. I, I think I that's think what that's, he's kind of alluding to. Like he's he's kind of the guy that, that is known. Not that he's like forcing them to get after it, but they feel like they can get after with him because he's a single guy, and they're probably having more fun. And then you become that guy to the wives and girlfriends. 
I think everybody could just calm down. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm only home for right. two weeks. I don't need to feel yeah. that way. But what can you uh, do? You never do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, on a recent life advice, you talked about kids. And I definitely want to get there, but it hasn't happened yet. So right now, I just need advice on being the single guy still closer to college while also staying friends with everyone uh, at the next stage. Do I need more single friends, younger, especially when your career only allows small pockets for fun? Not sure I'm ready to throw that away. All right. So here's the deal. What you have done career-wise is very impressive. All right. We're not going to share everything about what you do um, because we're not going to do that. But looking at this and knowing who this guy is, like you have been headfirst in your career. And it's very, very hard Like when you go, I also want this other thing to be really important. Right. Isn't there that book? I think I read it where it was like the one thing or the one thing, like just focus on the one thing at all times. I'm not very good at that on the focusing on the one thing, but it usually seems to like the default goes back to the thing that I actually do care about. Even if I'm not saying it out loud, what I'm prioritizing, the thing I'm prioritizing is the thing that I end up doing the best with because I'm giving it my full attention, even if I think I'm capable of doing three or four things at the same time. And for um, men or women who at a young age decide this above everything else, the other stuff is just going to kind of suffer unless you've met somebody who's so on the same page with you, you know, met you before you started this process. Like if I had met somebody who I totally clicked with in my mid twenties, and then we're saying, Hey, look at this, look at this run that we've been on and you've been there for every twist and turn and all that stuff. Like, yeah, okay. Then I could do this with somebody else, but having somebody jump into it midway through your pursuits is a little bit more challenging. Doesn't mean it has to be that way, but that's sort of in my, my, uh, my experience. So I think there's some similarities here with this. I think you need to start giving yourself more credit for what you've accomplished professionally and worrying less about the other part of it. Cause I know it sounds like super cliche to go, Hey, it's going to happen. But sometimes it completely surprises you. Sometimes it happens when you don't think it's going to happen, when it sneaks up. Um, but maybe in the in the times where you have a little bit more downtime, you prioritize it. But the weird thing is that when you start prioritizing the relationship stuff, then you can just give off this weird, high-energy, sort of desperate vibe that is a huge turnoff, which women, for however they're wired, and maybe one day science will share it with the men, they can smell all of it on us all the time. Like They can tell when you're kind of doubting yourself a little bit. They can tell when you're like a little bit more desperate to be into something. They just know, man. They just know. I think we're terrible at picking that stuff up. Um, so you're, you sound like you kind of have a lot of the things figured out, but you're starting to worry. But like 28, 29 is way too young to be worrying about this. It just is. It just is. And I know it doesn't feel that way to you because you've only been 28, 29. And that's the whole point is like once guys get past these ages, they can look back and have a different different feeling on it. But um, the business that you're in is very, very demanding. It's incredibly demanding. And I don't, I don't know... Look, it doesn't mean you have to be single the rest of your life, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be hard for you to, to have a thing where you now completely prioritize these things above it because you're still kind of finding yourself in this career that can take like a couple of decades to accomplish. Anything there? I don't know. I don't know that that was all that unique. So No, I think um, he seems like he wants more advice though. But he seems pretty cool with the timeline of events. He's just asking like, how do I, do I need new friends to to also sort of like, satisfied this part of my life that I still want to be a young guy and go out and not feel guilty about it or not be like a fifth or a third wheel every time you're going out. Um, his his career is that is such that I'd imagine I'm I'm interested like I wonder if his friends like all these close friends he talks about because he's moved around a lot. He was in what he was in Boston. He was in L.A. Now he's somewhere else. Um, 
it seems like he's been in a bunch of different places and he's probably made friends. So I wonder if all these people with wives and girlfriends are in his current state or if they're people that are out of state or in his past that he's like trying to keep up with. Because if you're in a new spot and, you know, you work in a cool in an industry where I think it's probably you're right, your time is pretty constricted, but, you know, you're around a lot of decently young people and you can kind of go out and you kind of have a cool job. You can kind of flex that, probably make some friends that way. That's the way I would do it. I don't don't be afraid of of, you know. I don't, I'm not saying chase the night all the time, but like, don't be afraid to make some new friends in your new spot because I don't think your your old friends are going to be mad at you for that, and they're going to understand that you're in a different place in your life than them. Just still keeping tabs with them. It's two different. It's basically two different hangouts. So if you're afraid of like finding new friends and not being able to hang out with the other ones because they, you know, have wives and kids, um, I don't think anyone's going to be offended by that. So just do your thing and, and see if you can find some new people. I hate how often being uh, a responsible regular at a bar creeps into my life advice, but it sounds like it would. It would kind of, that's like a bullseye for you, I think, if it was a, responsible. Plus, I've been watching The Wire again, and I just, how often they are, they're at happy hour, like, you know, just just hanging out. Good stuff happens to them. It's really bolstered my belief in this, but I really think that as long as you're, you know, you're done with work and, you know, you don't, you don't stay out all night, I think, I think those happy hours are a great time to make guy friends around if they're like, you know, they see, see you at the same bar a couple times. You know, so drink more, drink, drink more, more after work. I said responsibly, though. I did say responsibly, I, but yes, uh, uh, the essence is drink more. And I hate that, but it's just, it fucking, it nails his problem right there. Drink more, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I know you're going to take my nuance and just say, oh, crumble it up into a ball and say drink more, but fine, fine, drink more. I'm sensing some tension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The problem is because I know what the job is. That's not, it's not realistic. It's just, it's not super realistic. Well, if, the, if, if you're off for the night, right? It's like he's a doctor and all of a sudden he's going to be like, oh, you got to get out of here, right? I mean, what kind of stuff do you have to do at the drop of a hat when you already are pretty sure you're off? That's what I mean. I'm not saying like, make sure you're there at five o'clock on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays because that's when the friends you've made go. I'm just saying when you've got time. It's, it's kind of a cool job though when you're around people who I, don't, I feel like this wouldn't be a problem. Or may, I don't know, maybe you think I'm wrong, Ron, because as we talk about a job that nobody else, none of the listeners know what it is. But I feel like it, if, if you, it's kind of cool to say what he does and people are going to want to be friends with you because of that. So it actually won't be that hard for you to make friends. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, if I'm in a new city and I'm 28 and I have this kid's job, I'm fucking telling everybody. everybody. I'm making up yeah. shirts. It's my that, leading line. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe um, shy like i get it like you don't want to like throw that in people's faces but man i feel like you know it sounds like he's a lot of in. like it sounds like he's a lot of fun it sounds like people like him you know the the nature of the job is that he's not going to be in one place for for a long time the job is very hard it's very competitive you kind of have to grind you got to put in all the hours outside of the job all those kinds of things um so but it sounds but, it sounds like he's a work hard play hard guy though like it doesn't i, I i'm not but, but it also sounds like he's too young to be really starting to be worried about this stuff mm -hmm. i'm just telling you if i could do anything over and it's impossible to do it over i would worry less about the shit because you're gonna look back on it and go you know what wasn't a great use of time was thinking about that for six straight months or that was a great summer where you just shut it down you know like, I just wish I could do it. But, I, you know, luckily, I had to go through those things to understand in the current state of like, hey, you know what, maybe I'm just going to kind of roll with things right now and not not worry about it as much. But um, I think just 28, 29 is too young to be worrying about uh, some of these things because a lot most people's stories 
when they get married and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's more, it's more than half of them, way more than half of them where you'll be like, Oh, I didn't, wasn't even doing this or I had just broken up or I just done this thing. And I didn't even know, man, love is just right around the corner for so many of you guys emailing yeah. in, you don't even know. So drink I don't more. Even know Everybody's that. so worried. I, I get it. I get, it. I was there too. But, and, and to, to your point, Ryan, mine did you came care? Out you didn't uh, care. I, I I don't know. I got to a certain point where Ooh. I was definitely looking. Um, so he cared a little bit. And maybe it was the whole, like, <laughs> they smelt it on me. But my my mayor's now to my wife, like, I wasn't expecting that to happen. And it did. And it was fucking awesome. So, I mean, it's proof that your your theory is correct. Would you, what would you be like a single Saruti right now? Pretty, pretty miserable. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, I, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> pretty Pretty mad. No, I mean, like. I guess that's the I right thing to say for a married guy. No, 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 no. Like, it, it, your, my life is better in uh, a number of different ways i never really have the itch to like oh man i just like want to get out of the town one morning because i remember guys like especially like some of my older like family members be like yeah Yo, you you know you, you're getting married too young like you missed the single life or whatever and i'm like i don't know not really like if, you, if you're in a good relationship and you like the person like i don't really miss it that much like sure maybe like a one-off night i would but not like long term my life is better out now and uh and i wasn't really pressing for it at the time so maybe that's the way to play it kyle um i think i was I was single for like six years and it just was at the point where I was like, if I'll, I'll give it a shot, I would give it a shot if it, you know, like so, boy band ass. Like what? <laughs> I don't know about it. Frolic room, but wait, what the <laughs> hell's going on here? <laughs> you don't remember that from old school? What he's like, boy band ass. I don't. Sorry. Okay. All okay. right. Never mind. All right. Bummer. Never mind. All right. So you're single for a while. No, I just was. A, I think it was like the year before I ended up in a relationship where I was just like, I, I would give it a shot now because I was, I mean, I was in LA for a couple years already. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I won't do the thing where it's like the first person that comes up to me and that, and that would tolerate me will, will get into a relationship. So I don't know. It seems like, uh, it seems like this guy, we're just saying how great it is to be in a relationship for the guy who doesn't have one. So I don't know how we ended up here, <laughs> but, but, um, singles good too, man. Enjoy that. That's great. Drink more. Kyle just looked at me when he said that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say two thirds of us are, but yeah, well, Ryan seems to be doing all right. He's fine. You know, he's got a boat now. So things are going Whoa, well. We're saying that out loud now, huh? <laughs> well, I guess you put it on the Instagram. I mean, it was, yeah, it was on Instagram. What do you want me to do? So was that the <laughs> tender to the bigger boat or was that the whole boat? No, nah, man, it's a little Zodiac. Yeah. Great on right. fuel. How many people 20 can you horse, fit in that thing? 20 horsepower. Three comfortably. Four if we had to. Oh, okay. So you were just stretching out. In the picture, it looked like you covered a lot of the area of the boat. Yeah. Well, that's probably just a mass volume ratio yeah, to right. the raft thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Congrats on the know. boat, though, now that we can say it a lot. Pretty excited. Yeah. You know, you got to watch the swells. You got to get the weather apps. You got to make sure. You can sail boats. Even a Zodiac, they got the right of way. So you just... You're out there trying to windy Wednesdays. You're coming out of the jetty windy Wednesdays. That's wow. not about wind horse. That's just about weather. And, uh, you know, anyway. All right. Yeah. I think that covers it. Hopefully that was, a, that was a Probably lot of not. stuff in there. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think that one helped at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anything helped today. The Chris Finch interview was good. We'll talk to you on uh, Thursday, Bill and uh, I and other, uh, I'm sure KOC and Kyle, like I'm sure a bunch of people are in the mix. We're doing some draft stuff. We'll kind of, I guess we're going to tape a preview of the draft and then we'll jump maybe right after the lottery and tape reaction to the lottery. And then I'm going to be uh, ready to go Friday morning and we're going to have um, somebody from the Orlando Magic on. 
Friday morning. So we'll tape a Friday pod for you on top of the Thursday. So busy week. Uh, Everybody get ready, man. I'm excited. It's my favorite time of the year. And like I said, we'll talk to you Thursday and Friday. Thank you.